0: Don't stop firing! I think I'm being followed.
1: My dad is turning green. Like, literally green.
0: My last nav check put me on the range point
1: four. This is Control. Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency.
2: Greetings citizens and civilians, you're monitoring the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out there in the deep black, you're going to want to keep one ear on the guard. I'm Lennon. I'm Tony.
3: And I'm Jeff. As all of you pilots know, the guard is a specific frequency that all aircraft and control towers should be monitoring constantly.
1: If someone out there is having an in-flight emergency, they might send a mayday on that channel. Other pilots and towers in the area will answer back with instructions. And if you're inverted and down two engines in a fog bank, they'll know where to send the um, the EMTs,
2: if you're lucky. So we really want this show to go down into the fog bank. Sorry. Oh, no, that's not what's written. No, no. Ah, sorry about that. So that's what we want this show to be. So this is where you can tune in and know that you're going to get help from the community. Or maybe you'll be out there to help out a fellow citizen or civilian.
3: If you want to get a feel for our style of broadcast, check out a few of our episodes over at our sister production, One podcast.com.
1: This show will probably evolve in its own direction over time, but if you guys know us from Priority One, you know we deliver a quality show like a freaking metronome, and we want to do the same on Guard Frequency. To deliver
2: quality shows like Priority One and Guard Frequency, it takes the constant effort of a team of people to do what we do, and if you want to help out, we'll tell you how you can get involved at the end of the show. Well, that covers the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show. What do we have this week, Jeff?
3: Well, first up, we'll listen to what's coming through the Squawk Box. Then we'll get you up to date from the latest news from around the UEE. Then we'll have an interview with Simon Ludgate of Gamasutra for his analysis on the state of the game and where Star Citizen fits in the gaming industry universe. Finally, we'll tell all of you folks how you can get into the loop and join in our conversation. Let's see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Do you boys see a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal.
1: Crypto, Cryptor, Cryptor, this is Tony saying, welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This is our segment where we will bring you rumors, wishes, technology, oddities, and pretty much anything else that we deem appropriate to people who want to hear about Star Citizen and Space Sims and other interesting technological developments. This week, killer robots. Oh, I sorry, no, sorry. Those are that's killer robots, man. Like totally really good robots. So, all right, picture this: the alarms are wailing, the nuclear reactor's breached belching out toxic waste, a mere human would have no chance of survival. But the mechanized rescue team that clanks into action is a situation under control. Yeah, that isn't something dreamt up in the mind of Chris Roberts. Well, not if the Pentagon has its way, but but soon robot squads will handle many man-made disasters. The Defense Advanced Research Program Administration has selected 17 teams and their machines from more than 100 who applied to compete in the DARPA Robotic Challenge DRC trials near Miami, Florida, Friday and Saturday. The finals will follow in a year's time to decide who wins the $2 million or 1.2 million pound prize and gear-driven glory. Quote, this is a product that saves humanity, exclaims Professor Dennis Hong, director of Virginia Tech's Robotics and Mechanisms Laboratory, which is entering Thor, a humanoid adult-sized robot. These big competitions help make science fiction ideas become reality. A Fukushima plant-like disaster is going to happen again, and we're just going to be sitting ducks if we don't do this. There's also a really cool entry from our friends over at NASA's JPL that looks like a, you know, a bit like the wacky flailing arm inflatable tube man, so be sure to check it out over on the BBC website. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Over this weekend, the space station, uh, they're having to do emergency EVAs to get out there and repair a ammonium coolant system. The experiments are not being cooled properly in the interior, and having wacky inflatable arm flailing tube man to walk out there you don't have to get the space suit on you don't have to do all that kind of stuff that would be cool yeah i mean this
2: i don't know if you've actually seen a picture of this thing yet but, oh i have uh, oh yeah it
1: really does look like it sounds just like <laughs> and it's just it's all <laughs> sorts of crazy going on there well have you uh read seen or heard something that you think might be interesting to other citizens and civilians send us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com
3: let's check out some cig news one
0: seven five port bay hands on approach, trigger screen call
1: the get with me. This week saw the fundraising tally hit thirty four point nine six. Oh hell, let's just call it thirty five million. There'll be a letter from the chairman by the time the show downloads on Tuesday. Twenty three thousand six hundred alpha slots remain, and over three hundred thirty four thousand registered users are anxiously awaiting the dogfighting module. Speaking of which, take it away,
2: Lennon. In his latest letter from the chairman, the one that came out before this episode aired, so, you know, there's probably a new one now, but roll with it. Chris Roberts confirms the news that the dogfighting alpha has indeed been delayed. We discussed it last week with his interview with Ten Ton Hammer that it was more than likely going to be delayed, but Chris has now actually confirmed this. But in his recent letter from the chairman, Chris gives us even more details. To quote from Chris, originally when I first started this journey, I didn't dream that we would be entirely community funded so early, so I thought that if I released an early dogfighting build, it would help drum up interest in the project and get some good community feedback on the player versus player fun and balance. I knew this had some drawbacks. The biggest being that we would have to use the built-in CryEngine netcode and not our intended persistent and massively multiplayer-capable system that we are architecting to handle the large amount of players that we hope to have with Star Citizen. Chris then goes on to say, We had considered just going single-player and having a few combat scenarios available for the first stage of the dogfighting module, but ultimately we decided this will not be beneficial as even the single-player part of Star Citizen, Squadron 42, is built on the multiplayer backbone and is intended to have cooperative play out of the box And even in this scenario, with AI only, we would be creating a lot of throwaway content as we had always intended for the dogfighting module to be more about head-to-head than player versus AI. So, in addition to this, in the letter from the chairman, the search for the new office for the dev team in Austin took a little bit longer than anticipated, but they finally found a place and they move in on December 28th. And as Austin is where the majority of the NetOps devs are, it was seen as a very risky move to try and release a dogfighting module whilst the NetOps teams are going to undoubtedly have downtime due to the move. However, they are planning on throwing some goodies our way. Firstly, there is Hangar Update 10, which has just come out recently. And secondly, there was a two-hour livestream event, which aired on Friday, December the 20th, where they gave us some updates on the Hangar, the dogfighting, and Squadron 42. So if you didn't get a chance to watch it, you can, of course, watch it on the Robert Space Industries website. Links, of course, will be in our show notes.
1: Also last week, we had a new 10 for the Chairman that they released as a special on its own independent... uh thing that they put out there. It was full of some stuff that if you're paying attention to the forums and watching, you'll know all the answers already. But if you're new to the game and new to the show, you should just go watch it. Now, it's better to hear from straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, not that Chris Roberts is a horse, but, you know, it, he is the guy in charge. So maybe he is the horse. He's pulling the wagon. He's pulling us all. But I really want to talk about not the content, but the delivery of that little segment. If anybody had any doubts about Chris Roberts' commitment to this project, Just don't listen to them. Just jump ahead to about the 310 mark and watch for about 10 seconds. So go click the link in our show notes and, and watch it for about 10 seconds. I'll just wait right here. Okay, did you see that? Did you see him trying not to grin like a little kid okay enough said this guy wants this project made he wants it made yesterday and he's going to do whatever he can to get it out as fast as possible I'm already sold on the game obviously I'm doing a podcast about it but this, that that little subtle body language there just completely convinced me that he's he's pulling out all the stops to get this done
3: the Lore Builder series keeps on expanding, and in the latest installment, they bring us more details on Sadabal, but also Squadron naming. Despite being asked several times in the Ask a Dev thread, nobody has been able to give a good answer to why the single-player campaign is called Squadron 42, other than it sounds cool. Blog post says, Squadron 42 is the name of the game, literally. We can't change that. So any system that we come up with has to account for the existence of a Squadron 42. I know it sounds obvious, but we want to keep it in mind. And then it goes on to say it's based on the RAF structure, which for those of you who don't know, starting from the top, A group, which is made up of wings, which is made up of squadrons, which is made up of flights, which is made up of individual ships. Unfortunately, that's all they'll tell us. So it seems like we don't know why Squadron 42 is called Squadron 42 other than it just is. And going into the Ask a Dev thread associated with the post, lead writer Dave Haddock says, We haven't really decided exactly how many squadrons there are or if they're sequential at all, i.e. if there's a 507th squadron and a 244th, are there 263 squadrons in between? We haven't ascribed a correlation between the numbering and the focus yet either. But a fellow star citizen by the name of Enzig suggests the following as an in-universe explanation as to why the name Squadron 42 is, well, Squadron 42. Enzig writes, Something the U.S. first did with carrier air wings was to number them according to the parents' hall. Since there were small number of Bengal halls out there, it would be that Squadron 42 is the second space wing associated with the carrier hall number 04. It's really Squadron 04-2 on the official documentation, but everyone shortens it to 42 in conversation.
2: And moving on with the news, because the news don't stop, so we ain't stopping neither. In the latest entry of the Galactic Guide, we are introduced to MISC, standing for the, and I'm determined to get this right, Musashi Industrial and Starflight Concern, this organization is the result of a merger between two smaller, failing corporations, the Hato Electronics Corp. and the Musashi Lifestyle Design Unit. Creating spacecraft that are famed for their looks and ergonomic design, as well as their functionality, these precision-engineered spacecraft certainly have a hint of future Apple about them. The most famous, and in some cases the most infamous, ship designs by MISC are the Freelancer and Starfarer. So... Tony what do you think about MISC you know do you have a favorite Starship manufacturer what are your thoughts generally
1: well generally I, I like a nice walk in the woods uh, I'm a fan <laughs> of home cooking and, yeah, romantic uh, you know and the classic beach. rock music yeah. <laughs> uh, romantic walk. that's overrated really you get sand and there's like shells that get caught in your feet and stuff. And then you don't know what to do with your socks. Uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, as far as the other stuff goes, no, I, uh, I'm i not – MISC is okay. You know, In real life, I, I'm a bit of an Apple fanboy, but in the Roberts universe, I, I can do without the Freelancer. I can do without the Starfarer. You know? The tanker thing is interesting, it's, but it seems a little narrow to me. It seems like someone thought it would be a really good idea to have a tanker, but then you can scoop up fuel from gas giant atmospheres. So yeah. why do you need a tanker? I, I, I'm waiting to see how that end plays out. But one of the stretch goal ships is going to be a, uh, another cargo carrier, something that's a more of a long hauler kind of a thing. I'm waiting to see what that looks like because that could be uh, interesting for, for gameplay, something to escort, something that needs to be protected, something that needs to be sort of you know coddled a bit, a reason to have
2: buddies wingmen yeah. yeah definitely and I mean the the main reason why I like Misk is apart from the fact that they look sexy as hell I mean the freelancers are nah. just Ugh. but no. I know you're, you're I'm no. just, sorry you're just wrong there's no, no. <laughs> you know, this isn't even open for discussion you're just wrong um, Yeah, not having it not having it. I concede uh, exactly <laughs> thank you thank you and as once again I am right um, but yeah I, I do have this major what I can best describe as a firefly complex and the freelancer oh. is just perfect for that All it's right, the yeah. ultimate you know on the fringes ship I mean I do a lot of it in EVE Online as well I will occasionally just no, I say occasionally very regularly fly out into the most dangerous parts of space just to have a look at what's around I don't really do anything whilst I'm out there. I just like flying and exploring. And so for me, the MISC and the Freelancer are definitely the, the way forward. What about you, Jeff? What's your favorite starship so far?
3: I don't have one yet. I'm still looking at all the ship design and I just really haven't said, oh my God, I have to have that. There are some interesting ones, but uh, nothing that really, you know, piques my flying, um, can I piques say? Piques your interest.
2: <laughs> boat. Yeah,
3: I've always played some type of military officer, even early on in Jumpgate, I was leader of the Imperial Octavian Navy back way back when, and I cool. uh, always loved that role. So I think I'm going to go as militaristic as I can. We got more news, live stream in Hangar Patch 10. Check out the video on dogfighting. This game is looking more and more beautiful every time they show it. Wingman's hangars have a nice retrospective of the year of official updates, and they were almost going to reveal the secret of the executive hangar, but had some unfortunate, unfortunate ride. technical difficulties, just as they gave a final answer.
1: The Hangar Patch 10 is now live. Major additions include The Cutlass, The Updated Avenger, and The Interactive Gun Range, demonstrated during the last live stream. A series of small changes have also been made, including some new items in the Voyager Direct store, the most important of them being new fish. Everybody needs pets. Sure, there's some new guns and posters, but but there's fish. Get the fish. Come on. To allow you to make the most of these new items and to give them a bit of a
0: test
1: run and let uh, Robert Space Industries get some data about those tests, SITs and SIVs are being given an additional 1,000 UEC or more if you're a subscriber. Ooh. So go grab yourself some funky new fish. The full notes, in case you guys want to hear about them, are updated Avengers, holiday wreath on your hangar doors, very nice, the firing range, the cutlass, new fish tank decorations, including cleaner fish, school of jellyfish, a cute, adorable little space crab, and ribbon fish. There's also a foot locker. Also, we've got uh, some, uh, some issues, as with all patches. There, there are some problems. The firing range only has a limited selection of weapons. Weapon impact decals are often missing from the firing range. The jump graphic is offset, so when you are hopping into your seat on your test firing rig, you may uh, experience some oddities, some issues, some technical glitches. The Avenger and the Cutlass must be entered from the rear hatch. The P-52 is missing from the Constellation hangar, a huge disappointment to yours truly. Bug fixes various improvements to collision physics. Cockpit in 325A has been fixed, and the lighting in the hangar and the ships has been improved. And I had noticed a big difference uh, when I walked around in there the place is looking more real. Every time they sort of do these quality of life patches going through, you can tell that they're doing a lot of the attention to detail and learning things about how the engine renders and and how it shows off their artwork. It's it's improving quite a bit as it goes on. Yeah, absolutely. And just on
2: the attention to detail note, I I would just like to highlight two particular attentions to detail. I mean, these happen to me all the time in real life, so I'm really glad they put them in. Uh, The first one, you mentioned about the uh, jump graphic is slightly offset. Uh, Something Mm -hmm. that I've noticed is when when you go to use your chair in the hangar if you accidentally spin your mouse all the way to the left you do end up somewhat upside down in the chair which is my preferred sitting position my chiropractor sense not good but it, you know it does happen and then when you get out of the chair you are walking on your head which you know uh, that's amazing. It's well it's just for the Australian fans, you know they've got to have something.
1: Right, they're and on the bottom of the world.
2: Exactly, yeah. exactly. And the second one which I found hilarious was my uh my freelancer appears to have ejector seats. Now, I only managed to activate <laughs> this once. Um <laughs> what I did is I, I I I always have to try and push the boundaries. Literally, I always try and get outside the map sure. of any game I play. Oh, and yeah. I was on top, of my freelancer just like you do, wandering around and thought, wonder if I can get in the cockpit from outside the ship so I, I lined myself up above the glass I clicked the mouse through the glass got in that was fine when I got out again I think the hangar tried to remember my previous position tried to put me outside the ship the next thing I know I'm flying up towards the ceiling I'm at eye level with the wreath and then I'm coming back down towards the floor the physics model pretty good so far um so yeah, nice. you know, I don't know if anybody else has been able to activate these features. I don't even know if they're features, <laughs> Buck in <Features>. the code, <laughs> whatever. It's definitely definitely worth playing with. So Easter eggs, Easter eggs at Christmas. What more could you ask for? But now that we've finished discussing the features in the latest update in Star Citizen, I think it's time that we get into our interview with Gama Sutra's Simon Ludgate. Authenticate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cypher, a cypher, wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. Hi,
1: everyone. We want to welcome Simon Ludgate, frequent Gamma Sutra columnist and longtime friend of our sister podcast, Priority One. Simon, welcome to Guard Frequency. Hey, thanks for having me here. Well, Simon, we know uh, from our past experience with you, you're uh, uh, interested in game economics and uh, the economics of gaming. And we wanted to talk to you about Star Citizen's unique crowdfunding mechanism... Mm -hmm. Now, let's just start with the baseline here. How do games usually get made?
0: Well, I'm sure, as, as most people know, the, the traditional model is referred to as the developer-publisher model. You've got a team of people that want to make a game, and they need money to do it. And then you've got a team of business people that got a ton of money, and they want to make more money. And they think that if they fund the right games, they'll, sell, they'll make lots of money and then maybe pay the developers a little bit of that. So the traditional model, you've got a team of creative people, they want to make a game, they make a prototype, a pitch document, and they take this to a publisher and they're like, here, this this is the game we want to make, do you want to fund us to make it? And then the publishers have to do some risk assessment. They've got to look at the game and think, well, do we think that this will sell very well? Do we think that we can sell this and make lots of money from it? And the thing is, is that has the game industry evolved and matured in the past uh, 20 years, publishers have become increasingly, shall I say, reticent to invest in risky projects. They see you know, Call of Duty sells really well. All right, let's make more games like that because that's what the market wants. They see games that are sort of innovative not do very well, and they're like, well, we don't want to risk our money on things like this. They become risk intolerant. And so the traditional developer-publisher model has led to what a lot of people feel is is a stagnant situation in what should otherwise be an, uh, an exciting and creative industry where a lot of game ideas that are pretty cool that people think they want to do, players say they want to play, but publishers don't want to publish. And that's sort of the sort of where we're coming from in this this older economic situation.
1: Right, and so one of the very valuable things a publisher does is market the game once it's getting towards a a finished product state. This game, Star Citizen, is kind of taking that and turning it on its head.
0: Yeah, see that's one of the big uh, advantages or or one of the big reasons that small developers rarely used to just make games on their own, what they used to call indie games, which have become quite popular recently, used to be a massive barrier of entry because these small studios did not have the economies of scale to put their games in people's hands. Because, I mean, for for one thing, uh, digital distribution is a fairly recent thing. It used to be that if you wanted to put a game in people's hands, you first had to put the game in a box on a store shelf. And getting store shelf space... Was very difficult, especially because as publishers got bigger, they could have more clout with the stores, buy up basically more store shelf space, and ensure that other things uh, didn't get featured very prominently. So it was basically the case that if you didn't have a publisher uh, with huge advertising budgets, with uh, you know they could put out big booths at E three, you know, for tens of thousands of dollars, and they didn't have commercials on TV, they they didn't have the, the boxes on the shelf, they really couldn't get anywhere. So the, the two big things that have really sort of triggered uh, this, this change recently is number one, digital distribution has allowed indies to reach people directly without having to have the big marketing budgets, without having to have the store shelf box. And uh, so, you know, they could put a game up on Steam. They could even sell something on iPhone or Android. The cost of getting it up there was very low. And then if they didn't have a big advertising budget, you know, maybe social media would take off. So there's plenty of games that, you know, like Minecraft. And Minecraft didn't have a big advertising budget. I I never saw, well, now you see TV ads for Minecraft. But at the time that it first came out, its popularity was basically through social media. So that sort of made a lot of people turn around and say, wait a minute, maybe we don't need publishers the way that publishers have always done stuff. And yeah, crowdfunding is the other most recent big change in that. I mean, even back when Indies were developing games, the development teams would still have to fund themselves somehow. So either they were people who worked full time on some other job and then saved up money or they got a loan from a traditional business investment route or, or government funding, they would still have to get the money, make the game and then put the game out there. And crowdfunding is sort of putting the the players back at the very beginning part of the game. They're saying, well, here's our pitch document, but instead of taking it to a publisher, we're taking it to you, the players. And we're telling you, this is the game we want to make. This is how much money we need to make it. Give us the money now. Basically, in many cases, it's an an elaborate pre-order system. You know, here, buy the game now for 20 bucks, and in two years, you'll actually get the game once we actually make it. But one of the big things about uh, economies is that You don't just make, for the most part, one product and sell it at one price point. Uh, You Uh, you try to make a a series of products and and access as much of the different price points people are willing to pay as possible. Yes. Um,
1: Have you taken a look at the uh, pledge store on the com
0: (laughs) website? Well, I mean, if you look at at any Kickstarter funding, uh, they often have different tiers. And, and certainly, Star Citizen is not at a lack of different pledge points for trying to get people to no. give money. And yeah. The thing that really shocks me a bit about Star Citizen versus a lot of the other ones is how high those levels are. So <laughs> if you look at some of the other more recent um, successful ones, for example... A series of RPGs all got funded in relatively quick succession such as Wasteland 2, Torment, Tides of Numenera and Project Eternity and they were all focusing around sort of the $15, 20 $25 dollar point to get the full experience so you pledge around that amount you'd get your copy of the game you would have a few little bonuses but for the most part they were targeting that price point they had higher points with more perks you know t-shirts physical things various other you know design something in the game or whatever they certainly had high things but the focal point was very close to that 15 20 25 level very accessible for a lot of people and, and these projects were quite successful though less than 5 million each star citizen really shocked me because When you look at the main site, it lists, for example, right now the the current pledge amount is just shy of 35 million, and the total backers is just shy of 350,000. So both the backers are a lot higher and the money is a lot higher, but the average backing is $100 per person, which is a very high amount. And it seems that it's not just the case that people are donating. or or pledging, I should say, rather than donating. Frequently, they're they're donating very large amounts, and I'm not really sure if this is because everyone's putting in a large amount, because you do have to pledge a pretty sizable chunk to get anything out of this.
1: It's higher than the RPGs are. I think the minimum, I think, was a, is a $35 or $45 to get alpha access in a ship. You know, roughly double for the price point you were talking about for the other RPGs. That's And then
0: excellent. they have so many more packs that are in the, the hundreds and, thou- and thousands of dollars. I mean, you, you say, like, oh, well, here, just get this, this standard pack of ships here. It's only going to cost you $15,000. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Really? People are doing that? <laughs> yeah.
1: This is what economists call price discrimination, and my... My, can they discriminate?
0: I'm just amazed at the success they've had in getting people to donate. It's not Uh, really a
1: donation because, you know, there are a lot of people that expect something back at some point for this.
0: But, of course, that's the big catch to all of these crowdfunding things is that there's no actual guarantee that you'll ever get what you've paid for. And there's no legal responsibility to actually give you your money back if they don't provide the service that you've paid for. And that's, I think, something that a lot of people, they were initially very concerned about this when things like Kickstarter started, is they said, well, this is an interesting game. And yeah, I'd be willing to pay $20 now and get the game in two years. But what happens if the game doesn't get made? Games falling flat are very well-known throughout the games industry. It's it's very common that a game... Are you telling me there's a
1: pattern of vaporware in the games industry? (laughs) Silence yourself, sir.
0: Well, you know, sometimes it's the case of vaporware, sometimes it's the case of budget overruns, and right. the budget overruns are incredibly common. I don't think people really realize how often companies are trying to make games and they miss budget. They think, oh yeah, it's only going to take us $2 million. it ends up costing $5 million. It's one thing when you're working with a publisher where they've already invested X number of millions of dollars, and then you tell them, Oh, well, we just need a little bit more, and... You know, Because of sunk costs, because they've already invested that much, it's worth it for them to put in that extra bit of money and then get their, their return on their investment. But with a, a crowdfunding, I can't imagine that a, a project that's gone over budget that could then come back to Kickstarter and say, well, you know what, guys, we need another million dollars. Can you, can you start pledging all over again so that the other people that already pledged will actually get their pledges? <laughs> um, yeah,
1: so. it does smack a Ponzi scheme just a little bit there.
0: It does, but I mean, it, I, I shouldn't say it's all like that. I'm, there's plenty of games that have been uh, developed with crowdfunding and have successfully come out. Uh, FTL was a very good example. I'm always sort of sitting there on the sidelines watching this, waiting for the big collapse, waiting for a big project to get funded and then fail. We almost saw that with Double Fine's uh, Adventure where they reevaluated their budget and decided they needed more money. Thankfully, they had access to that money. That's kind of the worry that I, I think publishers have been dealing with all this time and that most individual purchasers of games haven't really had to deal with. Because by the time they get their game, the game is done, they don't really see all of the the chaotic negotiations and and money management that goes into actually putting the game on the shelf.
1: Yeah, but they do see the occasional flurry of patches and servers that don't work and other things like that, so...
0: The the biggest concern is that when people get their game, they're disappointed, they don't get what they thought they were going to get, and they're not going to back any more things. So it's also a case that It's not so much for the developer themselves that would suffer tremendously from this, but the crowdfunding efforts as a whole might alienate people if there's a few bad apples in the bunch. I think we've seen issues where, I think it was Aliens Colonial Marines, they put out advertisements with some set of video and then the actual game didn't look anywhere near as good. You know, this is not just something limited to crowdfunding, it's certainly throughout the industry. And, And there have been efforts to develop the standards organizations they certainly exist with consoles that's one of the big things with consoles is that uh, in order to publish a game on a console you have to go through the console manufacturers sometimes rigorous sometimes not so Hmm. regulatory process and uh that to a certain extent has has kept console games eh, for the most part uh, relatively reliable so there's been efforts, uh, I've seen different groups try to put that together for PC, we still haven't seen anything really take off in that realm though, but it might be something that uh, we'll, we'll see in the future if uh, crowdfunding does become both successful and have people taking advantage of the model to basically dupe people into giving the money and then not delivering to expectations.
3: I have a small story about a space sim that, that kind of uh, failed after 10 years. In ninety eight, I was at a technical conference doing something, and I met a man named Scott Brown, who uh, ran a company called NetDevil, and got involved with an alpha product at the time called Jumpgate, which really, really went quite well for about 10 years until they decided to start a revamp of the, of the game. And, you know, it had its publisher's issues. 3DO is, is of course, a bad name for anybody that's been involved in the industry. And I kind of wish that he would take this crowdfunding idea and try to revamp his uh, revamp. I, I think that crowdfunding is a great source of income for a lot of good people and good developers to get Some good ideas and games to market. Too many times over the years, I've seen a lot of failures. Games I would have loved to play or or been involved with, and just gone because they just stopped development. Just going to show you the difference that
1: a a, the wrong publisher versus the right publisher can make, Mm -hmm. and how they can how they control your destiny. Well, speaking of destinies, so if you don't need to make any money for your publisher, and everything you get after the game's done is just gravy. What kind of world does that open up for a, a game developer after that? You know, once you're once you've launched, anybody that buys the game after that is just extra. Anything you sell in your microtransaction store is just money to keep the lights on and money to make more stuff. You don't have to give anything
0: away. There's no investment to be repaid. So, well, I think that the, the biggest trick here is that development studios often hire people uh, on indefinite contracts. I.e., when you get a job with a development studio, it's it's under the employment contract of basically permanent employment, which may or may not change in the future. We may switch to something more like uh, the movie industry, where people get hired on contract to do just one film. But one of the issues that a lot of development studios face is that when they they publish their game, they've got all these people on staff that would be making that game, and now they have no work to do because they're not you know making a game. Big development studios can alleviate this a bit by having multiple games in de- different stages of development. And so they are, they're constantly cycling through. They've constantly got some project that they can shuffle their staff to. But there's still often cases. I mean, we often read about companies that have big firing. You know, like, Oh, you know, this game studio has just fired, you know, half of its staff or something. And this is not uncommon. You know, the game gets made. They hire lots and lots and lots of people keep adding people as they get closer to launch the game gets launched and then they've got all this superfluous talent possibly one of the things we'll see with crowdfunding is a shift again towards more contractual work where you'll get a team that kind of comes together they'll raise the money through uh, you know kickstarter indiegogo some some crowdfunding platform. Use that to hire the staff on a contract for that one project, build the project, and then the project is done. It's going to be tough, I think, for a lot of people because a lot of people really associate with their developers. They think, oh yeah, Blizzard Blizzard can do no evil. They make all these great games and they just think, oh yeah, Blizzard games, you have that logo on and they will buy the game. And that's that's a very effective marketing tool. On the other hand, it may not be sustainable, especially with crowdfunding, because crowdfunding may or may not succeed, right? You could put up your pitch and not get enough pledges to actually make the thing. And then you've got to go back to the drawing board and say, well, what are we going to make that people are actually going to pay for? So on the one hand, you have the advantage of pre-screening your stuff on a very big audience. You find out whether or not people are actually willing to pay something before you start developing it. On the other hand, it means that you, you do have to get past that initial hurdle to really get a game going. And so we may see big development studios sort of as we know it uh, sort of give way to more temporary things. But on the other hand, that leaves us with potential problems for ongoing games. So MMOs, I think, are a big example of this is that they come out, they have to be maintained. Servers have to stay online. Usually new content has to be coming out, you know, patches and expansions. People are paying a subscription. They're expecting a service to be provided over the, the period of that subscription. And so they need companies that are stable enough to continue to provide that subscription service that people are paying for. And that's why I've been very worried about using crowdfunding to back anything that's going to sell as a subscription, because I don't know how long these crowdfunded companies are going to last once they eat up the money that the backers gave them for that initial pledge. Well,
1: let let me me complicate the discussion one step further. Let's say that the uh, persistent online universe that people are hoping to play in is going to be free to play. There won't be a subscription
0: to access the servers on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. I mean you'd have to have uh, you really have to have a company that's in it for the long haul to uh, keep those things going they cost a lot of money to maintain they cost a lot of personnel you need a lot of management to keep it going that's why you need a fairly big publisher to keep online games going and that's why a lot of these online games have been kind of amalgamating into single publisher groups or clusters so you've got like perfect world and they're like eating up all these other small mmos you've got uh, try on worlds now they've picked up uh, archage and rift and, and defiance um, i think we we see more and more it's very difficult to run an independent mmo well simon i just got one last question for you
1: are we going to see a resurgence in joystick manufacturing?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I, the, the, given that they've reached almost $35 million uh, to develop their, their space game, and as a result, there have been a lot of other space games being spawned into various crowdfunding forms. I wonder if we'll see joysticks make a, a big comeback to the at least the PC side of, of the industry. I mean, peripherals have kind of fallen by the wayside. But uh, I, I have so many fond memories of, of those old DOS days with, with my Gravis Advanced Joysticks. And,
1: oh, I still have my Gravis. Commanders. I still have mine, too. I think right. I'm going to get a, uh, an adapter to try to get the uh, the old MIDI sound card uh, thing to bring into <laughs> a USB. I think they're 20 bucks on the internet. Oh, I better get one now before the, before the crowd gets
0: going. It's always possible that we'll see uh, another crowdfunding group come forth and say, hey, look, we'll start building the Joysticks for all these new space games that the other crowdfunding platforms are bringing to
3: light. Well I worry about that too because there was a uh, Razer that tried or was going to build that controller for uh, Mech Warrior but I've never seen it come to market. I mean there was stuff at E3 and we saw all the videos we got all hyped over it but I haven't but seen That's it. really the joy of crowdfunding is that, you know, it
0: may be ridiculously expensive to produce these hardware peripherals. But, you know, if it, if you need 10 million dollars to make it happen, you can still go to a, a you know, a crowdfunding site, and say straight up, "Hey, look, it's going to be ten million dollars to make these, but we can do it if we get these pledges and put it up there. And who knows, maybe they'll reach their their goal." I think my warthog will do
1: just fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Simon. Well, we really appreciate you stopping by Guard Frequency, and uh, hope to have you on again here in the future.
0: Thanks very much, and uh, all the best in the new New Year.
1: All right, thanks a lot. And now let's get into the feedback loop. Okay, buddy, what's
3: on your mind?
0: Well, uh- Let's just
3: be friendly. From our show post at GuardFrequency.com, Mike Edwards writes, Slightly pissed here. If you guys knew about Star Citizen, why didn't you mention it to the members of SSOG? I could have gotten a golden ticket as well. Damn, I made my initial pledge a few days after the golden ticket phase ended. Sad phase. Anyway, great first show, guys. I'm extremely glad you're doing this. And I'm pretty much inactive in STO, but this game got me hooked since the day I laid eyes on their website.
1: Yeah, SSOG, the uh, Special, uh, the what Starfleet Special Operations Guild, one of our one of our sister fleets, our our buddy fleets over in Star Trek Online. Welcome to all you guys! Tell all your friends. The 500 member strong SSOG over there. Come on over, join our team.
2: Wait, wait, wait. SSOGs is, is a fleet. They told me it stood for slightly no. soggy original gorillas?
1: No, no, no. Special string bean of uh, giants? I don't know. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. We hear from Jason A. He says, Love the podcast. I, too, just found out about Star Citizen, November 2013, and a little jealous that I missed out on some of the great founder stuff. But either way, I got my pledge in and looking forward to hearing more from you guys. And the Grand Nagus writes in. He
2: says, Hey, guys, great job on the first episode. I've known about Star Citizen for some time now, but I haven't kept up with every bit of news, so I'm happy to see this podcast. For those like myself, could you do a what-we-know-so-far type episode to catch everyone up on the game setting, main features, development, history, Anyway, looking forward to more. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of excellent websites that can really give you a bit of succinct information. Uh, I, th- I believe it's the idolonius.net. I might be pronouncing that wrong. But either way, really good links will be in the show notes, so go check that out.
1: And uh, welcome to Grand Negus. Hope to hear from you again soon. That's right, another one of our old friends from Star Trek Online.
3: And now on to the Robert Space Industry Forums, Eradicator writes. I listen to Priority One podcasts and enjoy it very much. I hope and look forward to this new one being just as good. Will podcasts be released on the P1 website or somewhere else? So I know where to keep tabs on the releases. Good luck. We'll have
1: all the details at the end of feedback, but we are arranging to have our show delivered through the P1 RSS feed for at least the first few weeks of the show just to get everybody kind of hooked on it so they sort of have to have it every week, you know, kind of like the coffee in the morning or, you know, a shot of Jack Daniels at night just to calm the nerves down, you know. I'm sorry, was that out loud? Listen to it on my way to work. First first hit is free. free. That's right. Anyway, but we'll keep you guys up to date here. Just keep listening to the end of feedback. We'll tell you how to get in touch with us and to get the show every week. Hopefully it becomes an addiction. We hear from Alliance of Nukes. How many members do you guys have? We just got here, man. Come on, <laughs> seriously. I mean, come on. Episode two. Give us, give us some time, man.
2: Okay. Well, we'll hang on. Hang on, there. on. Let's
1: let's just do a quick headcount. There's there's, okay. there's,
3: okay, there's, there's
2: there's me, there's me and so there's Jeff. And you are three. Jeff. Yes. Yes. That's three. And there's Tony. <laughs> and there's me. That's four. And there's me. Five. And,
1: there, and there's and me again. Presumably, there's,
2: there's again. Alliance of Nukes. I mean, he's going to join us,
1: right? Seven. Yeah. We're just yeah, second week we already got seven. That's exactly. pretty good. Exactly. That's yeah.
2: That's seven times as many as we had last week. But- i know we're exploding we're growing like you wouldn't believe (laughs) excellent okay so oblivious writes in he says greetings guard freak crew well done on a great first episode glad to see a strong british presence from lennon that's me yay i look forward to tuning in every week for my star citizen fix keep up the good work well thank you oblivious i've never been called strong or british before but I i guess it had to start somewhere
3: and Bad Cat writes, "Hey guys, it's Ranger XML from STO. Great show, and we'll be listening to you guys here now too. Looking forward to seeing you guys in the verse, and more than likely blasting you guys out of it. Okay, good, good luck with that. Will you guys? <laughs> will you guys be live streaming somewhere?" Well, it's in the plan. Yeah,
1: we're going to. We want to get the first few shows down and get our format worked out, and uh, you know, get the technical bits nailed down. Yeah. But we plan on live streaming somewhere. We have a lot of fun with it over on Priority One. We get a lot of good suggestions. We get a lot of good feedback, instantaneous feedback uh, when we're doing the live stream uh, every Thursday night over at TrekRadio.net. We'll find a home to live stream here in the next few weeks. Uh, but we just want to get our feet under us first and uh, and get the show running like uh, like a well-oiled machine. I'm so well oiled right now. I could just. I really don't (laughs) want to know. (laughs) (laughs) So, even after that, do we still deserve a cookie? Uh, Do you want us to do a show with uh, Swedish accents? I could do Swedish. Uh, Let us know there are some ways to get in touch with us and here they are you can check out our forum post at forums.robertsspaceindustries.com you can leave a comment on this episode show notes at www.guardfrequency.com
2: and now you can subscribe to us directly feeds.guardfrequency.com or find us
3: on itunes or you can hit us up on twitter at guardfreq that's g-u-a-r-e-f-r-e-q Leave a comment and like us on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash guardfreak.
1: And if you're old school and cratchety like us, you can shoot us an email, squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind.
2: And just before we wrap up the feedback loop, just want to say a quick thanks to all our new Twitter followers, Dauntless underscore twenty seven, Wasabi eighteen oh nine, Ranger XML, Oblivious, J one five six, and the Grand Nagus. Welcome you guys.
1: And that brings us to the end of Episode 2 of Guard Frequency. We still have one more show up our sleeves before the year's done, so tune in next week for Episode 3 on Tuesday, 31st December. That's the British way you say dates. Before going out and welcoming in the new year, drink, fight, and make your ancestors proud. Please send us your feedback about the show.
2: Hit our website, www.guardfrequency.com. Our Facebook page, facebook.com guardfreak. That's G-U-A-R-D-F-R-E-Q. Our Twitter, at guardfreak. Again, G-U-A-R-D-F-R-E-Q. Our email, squawk at guardfrequency.com. Or by popping the contact form at the top of our website, or by visiting this show's forum threads at robertspaceindustries.com or carrier pigeon or smoke signals. I'm sure we'll get the message either way and all of these details will be found in the show notes.
3: Maybe you like this show so much or just the characters in it and you want to help make the next one and the one after that. If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com and if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization thread over at robertspaceindustries.com Guard Frequency response. We want to thank the entire team over at
1: Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions and our guest, Simon Ludgate, for stopping by and giving us some thoughts on the game. Special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit www.ronaldjenkies.com for more of his work. And we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Tap Carol 15. Squawk seven seven zero zero. Stay on the ground.
2: It would help drum up support. It would help drum up interest in the project and get some good community. And get communicative. some good
3: community. Yeah. Lead writer Dave Hadowick says, We uh, haven't. What? <laughs> Dave, Dave Haddock. Dave Haddock. Dave Haddock. Dave. Okay. There are some interesting ones, but uh, nothing that really, you know, piques my flying. Um, can I piques say? Peaks your interest. Floats <laughs> your boat. Tweaks well, your nipples. My boat. That one's probably going. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, but so going we, where no, is that, the real question. Where is it going? Is... Uh, citizens, civilians. <laughs> civilians, citizens, civilians, civilians, <laughs> citizens, civilians, citizens, civilians, citizens, civilians, citizens, and civilians. <laughs> civilians. <laughs> civilians. <laughs> you can do just call them citizens Good idea. I'm just gonna do this. Yeah. Sorry. If, if That's that okay. needs to be changed. It's um, very British. It's is. quite oh, it's quite British. The U.S. Defense Headquarters, Vasya <laughs> Episode three on Tuesday, thirty-first December. That's the British way you say dates. Before going out and welcoming in the new year, drink, fight, and make your ancestors proud. Okay, just for that, Tony.
2: Just for that. Y'all going to want to send us your feedback about the show, so hit us up on our website, www.guardfrequency.com, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Godfreak, or our Twitter, at Godfreak, our email, squawk, at Godfreak. I'm just so fed up saying goddamn Godfreak, I'm
3: going to go get a cheeseburger. That was fantastic. <laughs> awesome. That was amazing. <laughs> right. I, I'm not even going to follow that. <laughs>